wind and the clouds all around us, Lord. We're to look to sowing for You. You are our Creator. You are our God. And in Your throne room before You in the plan of salvation, none of this caught You by surprise. And so, Lord, in Your plan of salvation, we pray Your will will be done. And guide us this morning as we open up Your Word to see our part in Your plan of salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for your help this morning. I appreciate it. I believe there's special music here, but there was a prayer request, so I wanted to at least acknowledge that. Come on, Ron. <laughs> you tell we're out of practice with special music. Good morning. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life years after the fall 
He took his place at the head of the race, the father of us all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not die, no but live forever. Yet God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in Beautiful, thank you. Father, thank you for this morning and those words. Help us to see the value of each soul and the links that you will go to to reach them, including our own hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Every once in a while, I like to do some sanctified imagination, usually informed by the Bible, always informed in some way by the Bible, but as I think of the plan of salvation, and I think of how God tries to reach each one of us in a way that would most appeal to us. I think of a couple of stories that maybe I've shared before. I'm going to share it from the perspective of heaven this morning and then apply it to a Bible text. I imagine an emerald throne with a rainbow, the true rainbow, around it. And as that throne is there and the 24 elders are there and the four living creatures are there and the angels without number are there, they're not just there to gather and to worship God. That's, that's their, one of their focuses, but their other focus is this lonely world. And so I don't know if they've got some kind of screens or some kind of way of looking or some kind of way of displaying what's going on here, but obviously there is something like that for God to send angels to minister to certain people, and there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And so there's obviously some focus on each one of us from the heavenly throne room. And so I imagine heaven watching as I purchased a plane ticket. And as I purchased the plane ticket, thinking I was getting a good price, heaven was more concerned with the people I would meet along the way than the price of the plane ticket. But they worked through that. And so they watch as I'm on the computer paying that price with my credit card 
And meanwhile, there's another individual who books the same flight somewhere else in the world, and they're going to somehow come into interaction with me along the way. Isn't that kind of how God would work if he's going to interact with each one of us? And so I imagine there I am, I'm getting ready to go from Reading to San Francisco, and on that leg of the flight, God sends a whisper to me. I'm up above San Francisco looking down, and the person right next to me just happens to be someone who knows the Betancourts in Happy Valley. And we're both headed to San Francisco, and we're going to go somewhere else along the journey there. And as we're talking, and we actually got into some talking about Christ and things like that, we both look down to the city, And the whisper comes to my mind, look, Murray, a whole city to reach for me. And it's about that time I'm thinking that the lady next to me says something to the effect of reaching that whole city. Who put that whisper in my mind and put it kind of in her mind at the same time? And yet there we are in the plan of salvation, interacting, encouraging each other. She goes her way. I go to the airport. And I imagine... Heaven has this part of the itinerary all planned as well. And they know that there's going to be a certain older lady there at the airport who's going to need some help, but that the pastor is going to be busy writing his sermon over in a little cubicle. And after he's done writing the sermon, he's going to be kind of foggy mind, and he's going to have to have his attention grabbed. And so I finish my sermon that I'm going to preach that Sabbath and as a guest speaker in Michigan, and I get out of the cubicle, I go over to the main area where you wait for the plane to be boarded, And as I'm where, this dear old lady is kind of walking up like this, and nobody seems to notice her because they're all focused on their gizmos. And finally, the Lord's like, help. So the first whisper was, look, look at San Francisco. Almost the same time our minds were thinking of that on the plane. The second whisper is, help. And you know how it goes. Sometimes you just kind of shrug off the thought and kind of go back to what you're doing, looking at your itinerary, see where you're going next, maybe get on your gadget or gizmo and try to just kind of move on, but I can't ignore the lady. She goes up to the counter and tells them, I have trouble getting on and off the plane. I would like to have help on, and I would wonder, is there, a, is there an aisle seat? And the lady's like, I'm sorry, the plane is totally full. There's, if someone wants to trade with you, that's fine, but, but we can't really do anything for you. Now, can you imagine that? I mean, just, come on. And guess what? I'm sitting there. I look at my stub, and it says I have an aisle seat. And so, okay, Lord, if, if she comes up there again, maybe I'll help. So the whisper is still there. Now it's getting a little stronger. Help, Murray. And so about that time, the intercom goes off. Now, can you imagine from heaven's point of view watching all of this? Can you? I mean, if we can watch security cameras and all these different things, are we somehow hindering God that he can't see everything that's going on at the same time and saying, hey, send an angel over there. Murray really has to get his attention. The Holy Spirit's been whispering, but now send an angel and say, help, Murray. Because there I am, walking up to the counter, because over the intercom goes the voice, if you have a bag, you'd like to have it checked to your final destination, please come to the counter. It'll be free of charge. I'm like, yes, I don't have to carry that big old bag around the airports. So I had another connecting flight after that. And so I go up to the counter with my bag, and as I'm talking to the lady, I said, it's free, and trying to just make sure I have all the details, and I say, yeah, I'll do that. She starts bringing me the sticker, rips it off, and hands it to me. I start putting it around the bag, and I start hearing the shuffle of feet. And you know who it is, right? It's that dear old lady. And I'm standing there with my ticket, and she comes up, and I think she's wanting to get information about checking her bag. And the Lord's like, remember, Murray, 
you, you were thinking if she came up again, you would help. So help. And so I turn and I say, and this lady needs an aisle seat. I have an aisle seat. Why don't you switch our tickets? And I've told this here before. And the lady, of course, says, why? Well, I can't. I got, let me try. And it goes on the computer. I can't do it. And I say, just take the pen or take the thing. Write, scratch out my information. and Just write her seat number on mine and mine on hers. And it's done. She looks at me like, that's a novel idea, handwriting, you know? I don't, I don't know if that's the novel idea or the fact that i, I got to do something later in the computer to make it right anyway, but, but she does it. And there, that dear old lady's like, you make sure you buy something on my tab. I'm thinking, well, how can you really do that? you got to swipe a credit card and all this. I can't say, well, swipe her credit card up there. And so I just said, no, it's okay, no thanks. I just wanted to do that. And she kept, keeps insisting. And finally, I say, like I say to some people sometimes, I'll give it some thought. And that means I'm not going to do it, but I'm being politely saying no, finally. And so she gets on the plane, and I just remember watching her look back at me several times. Just She noticed me walk by, and she follows me back. She knows where I'm sitting at, all crammed in this, this uh, window seat with the, with the, you know how the airlines have those really small seats now, and you've got longer legs, and you're just crammed there the whole time, and you know you're going to have an eight-hour thing where you're, you're, or whatever it is, six hours, and you're, you're going to be all cramped up before you get there. I'm thinking, Lord, it was worth it. That lady needed that. Thank you for whispering to me. Is that just happened to me? I mean, God oftentimes has to yell at me sometimes. Almost has to get the angel right along there like Peter and whack me and say, come on, pastor. You know, you're the pastor here. You're, you, you should be look, looking out for this type of stuff. You know, I'm not a perfect witness. And yet, as I look through Scripture, my incident is not isolated. I reckon that more than likely, heaven is trying to arrange things like that all the time. And if we would be open, we would see that God has placed us in the right place in His time. If you don't quite uh, want to accept that at face value, go back to Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, we find even after the fall, God was still speaking to His creation. You go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord God calls to Adam and said to him, Where art thou? And so God knows exactly where Adam is. It's more of, a, in essence, an inter, trying to interact and dialogue with him. And he says, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? goes on from there. But notice, this is after the fall. And some people say that still a small voice and God speaking to you, that's an isolated time. That's somewhere in yesteryear. But, and that's maybe even before the fall was the ideal. But after the fall, it's still going on. All the way down through Genesis, just trace Abraham and David and Nathan and Daniel. Just kind of go on down through the Bible. You'll find person after person has a still small voice or the voice of God coming to them and directing their path. Isn't that what Proverbs chapter 3 says? Trust in the Lord with all thine might and lean not on thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. Do we not believe that? Since the fall, God has continued to try to speak to our hearts and direct our paths to our fellow men. You go on down to 1 Kings chapter 19. Another interesting story there where the whole world seems to be coming apart all around Elijah with the earthquake and all of these things that are going on, the fire, and the Lord's not in the fire. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, it says here in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11, 
And he said, Go forth, stand upon the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, a still, small voice. This is God's mechanism for communicating with us, and it goes right in accordance with the Word of God. Do we fear? Do we fear the words, voice of God, and presence of God enough that we won't even hear Him talking to us? It does make me feel nervous sometimes to think of God as now, as I'm opening my Word of God and we're communing, that all of a sudden I just feel overwhelmed with His presence. It does kind of concern me that that's just an emotional high, but more than likely it's not because it keeps reoccurring. And He keeps that still small voice coming to me and saying, Murray, it's not what you saw in the news this week that matters. It's not the earth-shattering decisions that are taking place. It's my still small voice that's calling you and saying, this is the way. Walk you in it. And if you combine this verse with Isaiah, which we read for our children's story, it's very clear. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, your ears shall hear a word behind thee saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. It's talking to the Israelites who are feeling discouraged. He's saying, I'm going to send you teachers. I'm going to send you helpers. And you're going to hear this voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. Whether you go to the right hand or to the left hand. So it's clear. God has this still small voice. That's what was directing my path. Heaven's throne room is interested in in speaking right to your heart and my heart to bring us into contact with our fellow man, with each other, to encourage each each other to the the heavenly home. And if you want a real specific example of this, the book of Acts is very clear. Acts chapter 8, our main exegetical study for this morning. Acts chapter 8. I told you about two whispers. I'll tell you a third at the end. But as I look at this story, it's very clear that God has me and you, us, in the right place in His time, and I'm calling that divine appointments. It's not in my planner. I like to make a lot of boxes and notes and all of that in my planner. I like to look ahead a year and see what my sermonic schedule is going to be. And he says it's kind of weird, but I pray, Lord, can you give me at least a direction that you want me to go and to take the church for the next year? And I start writing things down way in advance. But the Lord's like, Murray, it's not always in your time. Murray, it's not always what's in your planner. These are divine appointments. Oftentimes they come when you're not even looking for them. The question is, are we open to responding when we recognize them? Because here in Acts chapter 8, you find something has happened. The journey of every true believer is really being shown here with the life of Philip. Philip, who has gone about preaching. Philip, who has interacted with, we find Simon Magus. Philip, who was in Jerusalem. And now the believers are being scattered. And as they're being scattered, do we think heaven was caught by surprise? No. Heaven knew this was going to happen. In fact, didn't Jesus say you would start out in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth? We find that they've, they've been in in Jerusalem, we find eventually they get up to Samaria, we find here in the book of Acts, and now it's time. It's like the Lord's saying, it's time to go. He uses the persecution that Satan orchestrated, the events that Satan thought he was in control of, and he turns it for the furtherance of the gospel. If I was to put it in words, God is the ultimate judo master, or the person who would take your momentum when you throw a punch at them and just flip you right on your rear end. I remember an old guy, his name was 
Andy, and he's like, come on, tough guy, throw a punch. And I went, and I threw one of my old school punches, and he just grabbed my hand and threw me right over, right on the ground. This old, older guy, he, must have, he was past retirement age, and he's throwing this teenager guy right on the ground. And I'm thinking, man, I've got to get up and show this guy something. And so I get up, and he just keeps throwing me on the ground. <laughs> Don't take too many of those for my brain to say, okay, there's no way I'm getting this guy, unless I like jumped him from behind or something. There's no way I'm getting Andy down. And uh, we find here in the story that God takes everything that Satan throws at the church and actually turns it for his divine appointments to take place. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 26. The angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south to the way that goeth down to Jerus- from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. Interesting way to begin a divine appointment. It's like the throne room of heaven buzzing and saying, all right, send an angel down, get Philip, tell Philip to go this way rather than that way. And you know there were, there were probably at least three routes you could have gone that were regularly traveled towards Gaza. You had the coastal route, King's Highway. You find the Philistines had that territory before David and them conquered it. You find from Samaria down to Jerusalem and on over to Gaza. And then there was a way less traveled, the desert way. I wouldn't really call it a shortcut because if you didn't have enough water and things like that, things could go wrong on that way. Not a huge distance, but still, it was the least likely travel. One commentator says, little likelihood of finding labor out there. You know, there you are in this place, little likelihood of finding anybody out there, and God tells you to go that route. Not the usual route, not the coastal route, but this desert way. I read this quotation. It says, When God pointed out to Philip his work, the disciple did not say, The Lord doesn't mean that. No, no, no work over there. No, he arose and he went. He had learned the lesson of conformity to God's will. He realized that every soul is precious in the sight of God and that angels are sent to bring those who are seeking for light into touch with those who can help them. He knew that God sent the angel to him to put him to contact with some soul down that road. So he went. He didn't question. He didn't say, well, we don't have as much fruit here as we had up in Samaria or in Jerusalem. I mean, this is the other, this is just the way less traveled. He didn't argue. He just went. He said, well, if I had an angel come to me or a strong voice from heaven, I'd go too. More than likely, you wouldn't get a voice from heaven or an angel unless you were in conformity to God's will before that. And neither would I. And so he sends us oftentimes this still, small voice, and maybe eventually it might get to the point where he does send us an angel or he does send a stronger voice. But we know from the story that Philip had responded up until this point, and at this point he doesn't question. He just goes. And notice, it's interesting. He arose, he went, behold... A man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, had come to the Jerusalem for to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot. He read Isaiah the prophet. Now, this is an interesting scene. There you have the angel encounter, the the command to go. He goes, and as he's going down, the next scene, if you want to use the Greek language, behold, look, here's the guy he's supposed to meet. And there he is. And what are some details we notice about him? First, you notice here in Acts chapter 8, verse 27, 
a eunuch of great authorities from Ethiopia. He's under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He come to Jerusalem to worship. Those are three interesting details in this plan of salvation story. And this divine appointment. Because if you look at it, some people say, well, Ethiopia, how, how did he even get to be up in Jerusalem? We know from an Egyptian source that there was a Jewish settlement in, the Egypt, in Egypt area, and up in Ethiopia as well. So more than likely, this individual had been influenced by that. And some people say, well, Candace, Queen of the... Surely there was no Candace. Actually, we found her in an early church writing. Eusebius wrote and talked about how the Ethiopians had, a, had this queen okay, in a similar time frame. So we have historical sources that back up the idea that not only was there a Jewish settlement there, but there was a queen there in Ethiopia, really ruling at the time. And this individual, it says here, he went up to Jerusalem for the worship. That is loaded. I mean, you think about an expression that's loaded. This one, he obviously is a follower of God and the Most High God to go from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship. Why is he going there to worship? You find the devout converts to Judaism would go up to Jerusalem, at least you would find for the Passover, the unleavened bread, and Pentecost. Who has Peter and them spoken to at Pentecost? Now, I, don't, can't, I can't prove it, but I wonder. You go to Acts chapter 2, verse 10, and it says here that Peter is speaking and they're amazed, and it lists off all the nations that are hearing in their own language, their own dialect, what they were born. Look at verse 10. It mentions Egypt. And so, I'm not sure he was in the audience that day, but he's in Jerusalem at the same time period. Could it be that somebody he knows, or he himself was there, hearing a message of Jesus, maybe didn't make a decision, or he got the word passed along to him that there was this Jesus. We know something is stirring in Jerusalem and he's there worshiping God and God knows he's ripe in his mind to accept the Messiah and he hears of Jesus. And he gets the scroll of Isaiah. Either he had it with him and packed it all that way or he got it before he left Jerusalem. And he's got it in his hands and he's reading about a suffering servant, Messiah. Surely, he thought he was going to worship and to do what any good devout Jew would do. But when he left Jerusalem, his thirst for spiritual things and accepting the Messiah was just uncanny. It was right there ready for Philip to interact with him, to provide him the living water. And so you add that all into the story there. Philip really had nothing to do with this other than being a willing servant of God and making the appointment for God and being the spokesperson. You know, oftentimes when we interact with somebody else, God has already set the stage long before we even get there. He's already orchestrated all the events. Yeah, Satan has tried to do his own, but God's will has been done and he has a person ready for you right in front of you to talk to. It may not be you're going to lead them to Jesus like Philip does here. It may be the act of kindness. It may be help. It may be just a simple, simple idea of a look together with this person. It doesn't matter what the still small voice tells you, but that divine appointment has been arranged by God put you at the right place in his time. And there he goes, and he sees this guy reading Isaiah, and the Spirit says to Philip, go near and join yourself to this chariot. And Philip ran there to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, understandest thou what thou readest? 
Now, in the divine appointments, sometimes God has you doing something that would appear crazy. Can you imagine driving out of here after service and you're, you hit on the Balls Ferry Road, whichever way you go, you're going Balls Ferry Road, and you pick up speed, and all of a sudden there's someone right beside your window, either when you're driving or if you're riding, pretend you're riding, and you're reading your Sabbath school lesson or something, and you got your window down a crack, and this person comes running up beside you there. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to look and see if the door is locked, right? Running up beside you there. And they come up, hey, you know what you're reading there? I mean, if you weren't open, I mean, it would seem to be a real interesting situation. Honey, go faster. You know, you're going you're gonna to react a little differently. But this guy there, the chariot, I don't know how fast it was going. I would assume more than 10 miles an hour. And this guy runs up beside it. And see, here's the guy reading. He hears him reading it and asks the question. I don't know if God's ever asked you to do something like that. My divine appointments have usually been a little more calmer than running up next to somebody's vehicle and asking them if they understand what they're reading. But that's how it works. You have to be open to doing as God leads you to do, even if it appears to be crazy at times. And you go here and he says, How can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. This is verse 32. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so he opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, and was, I'm open, please. Who does this speak about? The prophet himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Isn't that a simple method? Whoever you're interacting with, just take them from where they're at and take them one step in the right direction. This situation here, you've got someone who's keeping the Sabbath, someone who's probably returning tithes, someone who's coming to Jerusalem regularly, someone who's probably going to regular synagogue services. So really, what is he missing? He's missing Jesus. He could do all of that and be a devout Jew, but now that the Messiah has appeared, this is the truth that he needs for that time. And don't we have a truth for this time? Doesn't this world need to know that this pendulum swing of society that we're talking about is going to end up in a dictatorship that is going to cost them their religious freedoms and that we need to prepare them for that? Are you kidding me? The peace that God has given us is not for us to hold on to. It's for us to trust His divine appointments and to share it with everybody around that we can before, before everything just totally, totally goes awry. Because I can tell you right now, I don't want to be responsible for somebody falling under Satan's kingdom and a false Christ when I have the opportunity to share with them truth that could help them not be under Satan's banner, but under Jesus' banner. And so take them where they're at. You, know, you don't always have to hit them over the head with the strongest message you have. But if they are ready for it, then share it with them. I mean, that had to have been pretty heavy for some of the Jews of that day that, that the Messiah had come and now he's dead and he's up in heaven. He's, he had he'd been crucified. Now he's up in heaven. He's saying he's going to come back. I mean, can you imagine the weight of that message for the Jews of that time? We missed him. We have a heavy message too. But when the right door opens up, we are to share the message. 
take them from where they're at and one step further. It may be that it's just a simple gospel presentation of telling them the story that God so loves the world. It may be, mean that, yes, they need that Sunday Law book. It may mean that they need to hear something to help them with their health because right now their life is just in shambles. It may mean that they just need someone to listen. It doesn't matter what it is. Take them that step that God has placed you there to help them take and then leave it to Him to deal with the rest. In this story, we have a wonderful ending where he's baptized, right? You may not ever see that. Years ago, there was a group of people who passed out literature up in Walla Walla area to everybody who got off the railroad. You think they saw down the line that one of them would be some criminal guy who'd stand up in front of the church and be a preacher years later? That's me. That's the whole history. That's why my grandfather handed out all that literature. It's because it was a generational godliness that was a habit that they did all along the way. They never stopped at the horse and buggy and train era. They just continued that practice all the way down through time. And so we find these divine appointments. God has placed him at the right place in his time and put place before the person that you are interacting with what they need to know about Jesus. And then it says, Philip opened his mouth, began at verse 35, the same Scripture, preached unto him Jesus, and as they went on their way, they came to a certain water. Now, in the plan of salvation, God obviously knew that that way of desert would have had some snow melt or some little spring of water or whatever right, right there when they needed it. Can you think of the goodness of God? If He does that for one, He does that for all. Each one of us. And there's that water. And I don't know how tall that individual was, but some Egyptians are known to be tall, so it had to be some water there. We found that out at the creek a while back. And he leads him into the water. And you find the invitation is from the eunuch himself. Verse 36, look, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? You know, there may be some here today that need to be baptized. It may not mean that you need to have a whole series of Bibles. You may actually be ready to be baptized. Don't hinder it. Don't hold back. And you find there's others who need to know more beforehand. But you find he is baptized. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. He answered, I said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He commanded the chariot to stand still. Verse 38. They went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. This is the joy that heaven talks about. This is what the throne room of God erupts in praise and honor to God that he would work everything out for that one individual, that one individual to live forever. Heaven rejoices. And Philip is caught away by the Spirit. I don't know. You find in the Old Testament some prophets were grabbed by the hair and vision and taken all over. We don't know if it was something like that. Someone once said, this is a Superman text. you got Philip running the speed of light. you got <laughs> him flying away at the end of the story. We know he's found some miles later at Azotus. But he's found continuing to respond to the divine appointments. His next one was, obviously the Spirit took him over here. And we find the record of Philip's life is he kept responding to the divine appointments. He kept being in the right place in his time. Today as then, angels are waiting to lead men to their fellow men. In the experience of Philip and the Ethiopian, it's presented to work a work to which the Lord calls his people today. Review and Herald, March 2nd, 1911. And so, I look forward to divine appointments. I'm going to be getting on a plane tomorrow morning. 
And Lord already told me, you know, you need to tuck a little stack of literature right in there somewhere. And you need to look at your ticket and pray that I'll send the right people in my time along the way. Because when I got off that airplane, I when I was in South Bend, Indiana, here's the third whisper. And this divine appointment was for me, pretty much my heart. Sometimes we think it's for the other person always. But no, it grows us. And then sometimes along the way, that person may even minister to us. Because there I was in South Bend, Indiana, that third leg of the flight, after I'd helped that lady with my seat. Small matter. And as I got off the plane there, you get into that airport, and at the time of day I got in there, there was nobody. It was just nobody at all. And as I got over to the baggage claim, and you know how that sounds, and then all this baggage starts coming out on these rollers, and you're like, you know how the anxiety you feel when you're looking for your bag, and and you you notice a lot of them have the same color as yours, and you're hoping nobody grabs yours, and all of that, you know? And you're just like, okay, it'll be all right. And I I knew what mine looked like, because it had this fluorescent green tag on it from from the main airport that I started in, where they checked my bag. So I'm looking for that tag, and finally it comes along, I grab it, I look around, <clears throat> okay, I guess I better go out and find the cab that was supposed to be here from the hotel. I go out the door, there's a green minivan. I'm like, hmm, he said it was going to be a green minivan. So I go up to the guy, and he's like, yeah, I could take you to the hotel. And I, I said, I noticed he had a, a, a cab, you know, timer there and everything else, and, and I thought, okay, this is a cab driver. It wasn't really marked very well, but this is the cab driver, this isn't my hotel. I said, you know, no thanks, I'll wait. So I go over there, I make a phone call, and this is where the third whisper comes. I'm talking to the Lord, and he's saying, Murray, I got an appointment for you over here. Murray, I got an appointment. And I hang up the phone, and the Lord's like, can I get my attention? And I'm just trying to relax. It's almost like sometimes I want to say, Lord, I'm on vacation, you know, or I'm, 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 give me a break. But there he is, he's like, look over there, look over there. Your first whisper was, Look, your second one was help, and now, listen, listen to this. And as I look over to my right, there was nobody in that airport. I don't know where these people came from, but anyway, they came out of the airport. They weren't on the flight that I was on. That was the only flight going. They come out of the airport, this whole group of people, this big, strong guy, and he begins to tell how he had gotten out of prison, and the Lord's given me this new life, and he's just testifying of the Lord. And he says, y'all, let's, let's pray. And he gathers them around, and he says, as I'm listening, I noticed the girl, she opens up her eyes and looks to see if else is looking, and I'm looking, and she's like, ooh, and I, I said, it's okay, and I kind of like that. And she begins to pray along with them, and this guy's just uttering the most beautiful prayer. Sometimes the divine appointment's just for you. For God to say, you know what? Hey, remember? Remember when you had that kind of heart? Remember when you cried out to me like that? Remember when it was like to have a new life? And so there I was, listening to this beautiful prayer, bowed head. And the guy is saying, Lord, you know, you've been with me for the last five years when I've been locked up. Now I'm going back to my family. I want them to have the new life that I've experienced. And he's placing his family, his little kids, into God's hands. He doesn't even know if his family is going to know him anymore. And he's saying, Lord, Lord, I trust you. There's more words that he said than that. They open their eyes. They're giving hugs, taking selfies, all of that. That's why we have those long poles now, right, to take a selfie. And so they're taking all these pictures they go into the airport, and there's no one going in and out at all after that. And I stand there. The Lord's saying, I placed you in the right place in my time. This is a divine appointment for you, for you, Murray, to remember. To remember how years ago I brought you out of darkness into light. To remember that I'm still changing people's hearts. To remember, to remember that it took divine appointments to get your attention. And so, Lord, 
this text is very clear. You're still in the business of arranging our lives to meet those around us who need salvation. But Lord, we need those reminders too. And so today, we pray that you will arrange our divine appointments, that you will guide us and direct us to see how you have arranged even small details to bring us into contact with people who need to know your love. And then, somewhere along the line, you will arrange a divine appointment the other way, where you will encourage us and help us stay on the path until we see you face to face. In Christ's name, amen.